0: Hello and welcome to the TT Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk to one person from the world of the TT races to discuss their lives, their journeys, their ambitions and their relationship with the greatest motorsporting event in the world. I'm Chris Pritchard and alongside me, the best co-host in the world, Steve Plater. I love it when you say that. (laughs) You are? Well, I've got no one to compare you against, but, you know. So in my eyes, you are. Um, Coming up today, a man who's... Slightly younger than you, I believe, Dave Molyneux. You're looking forward to... Uh... <laughs> I'm, I must be tired, I can't think of an answer. <laughs> hey, no! what a great
1: fella. In all, you know, was, Absolute uh, a legend. Massive, massive TT history. Not scared of giving his opinion, whether it be to somebody on the street or to an official, he really isn't. And uh, I like him, I like him a lot. He's not even sat next to you and you've said that.
0: No. Shall we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Today's guest needs very little in the way of introduction and reeling off his stats doesn't do him justice at all. But here they are anyway, 17 times a TT winner. Sorry to say this, Dave, I was still in nappies when you were ripping around the TT course for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I should <think> so. <laughs> his Me career, too. <laughs> his career spans five decades and it doesn't look like he'll be stopping anytime soon. He is the most successful sidecar driver ever. And the fourth most successful TT competitor of all time alongside Joey Dunlop, John McGuinness, Michael Dunlop and obviously Ian Hutchinson. What makes this achievement even more amazing to me is that the sidecars often only get two races during race week. He's the first driver to lap over 110 miles an hour, he's won on all four of the main Japanese manufacturers, he's won all but one of his victories on his own DMR chassis. And the list goes on and on and on. We could be here all day just reeling all the facts off. But that doesn't even come close to scratching the surface of this man. And I can't wait to hopefully just sit back, relax and enjoy some tales of TT's gone by. As we welcome Dave Molyneux to the TT Podcast. Dave, you alright?
2: Yeah, thanks. Nice to be here.
0: Good. It's ni- hey, it's nice to have you here. Um, this is going to be an interesting question. Obviously, we start the, the TT Podcast with the same question to all the drivers, all the riders. Um, and you'll have experienced it more than more than a lot and you'll have seen different variations of this um, but it's that tap on the shoulder you're rolling up to the start line mm. you're in no man's land the visor comes down you get that hand on that shoulder what what thoughts are going through your head in that in that moment
2: right well when I first started it was uh, <laughs> an unmentionable thing
0: <laughs>
2: yeah pretty
0: so go in it, fact go back to that time what was it like the first that time? time well it was just
2: I would be asking myself why I was there. You know, <laughs> what, do I actually really want to be here? I did ask myself that question on many occasions, and uh, just got that wound up yeah. about it. But as time went on, and I got old and old and older, it's just no, 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 not older. Experience, uh, more experience. <laughs> now, nah, it, it, I like sitting there now because I kind of think, well, this is what what it's all about. This is why we've spent fifty weeks building up to it mm-hmm. in the garage. Busting a gut, trying to think of something new, something, will it work, won't it work? And uh, and it, the more you get of it, the better it gets, you know. But the heading off down Bray Hill is on the first night, first practice is pretty damn good. You know? yeah.
0: yeah. Still still get nervous during it then? Or, or yeah. has it changed?
2: Oh, yeah, nervous. Yeah, really? I do. Just like, and that's good because I keep thinking, now this is what makes you feel young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah,
1: still having that adrenaline buzz and, yeah. Keeps you on your toes. Does. Yeah,
0: yeah. definitely. See, Steve, you should still be... Uh, you should out. still be riding. Get <laughs> every, every, everybody that comes in says the same. Yeah. Go on, Steve, have a go. So, uh, go, let's go back before that.
1: You know, obviously you build your own chassis and as Chris just said in, on the intro, you know, uh, there's only one TT, one that uh, hasn't been on your chassis. Mm. But what's your background? Where do you come from, an engineering background? and wh- Well... Y- I went into mechanic, apprentice mechanic at
2: the age of 15, because that's what my dad did. I I even went to the same garage to get the job. And I hated it. Six months in, I absolutely hated it. I hadn't been given any more than a brush the floor or go and get the pies from the shop job to do or clean the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. So I went to the foreman one day and I just said, You know, I've been here six months. When am I going to get told a spanner or a screwdriver or something? hold an exhaust pipe up for a mechanic. You'll be told when you can do that. And I gave it about two hours thought. And I said, that's not good enough for me, I'm off. And so I just chucked the towel in. I threw the towel in, hitched a lift from Peel to Ramsey. I went to another garage and said, would you give me an apprenticeship? And he said, "Uh, yeah, I'll give you an apprenticeship. Start at eight on Monday morning. Uh, If you're not here, don't bother coming in again. That was the first thing he said. And the first job I got to do was change a ge- uh, clutch on a Vauxhall Viva van. God, <laughs> so he said, put it on the ramp on Monday morning, just get on with it. So it was one extreme to the other. Yeah. But as time went on over the next 10 years, I just chose jobs that I thought would go well to uh, being a, an independent bike racer, you know, sidecar rider, whatever you want to call it. But, so I, I ended up doing body, car body shop picked up spraying and then welding. Um, I asked the the guy who's top welder there one day, would you would you teach me how to weld? He said, no, the gear's here. Come in at lunch hour and spend your own time teaching yourself to weld. So I did. Brilliant. And within a month, I was the man at the top doing, it at about 19 years old, doing all the, the welding in the body shop. So that came easy. Um, that lasted a couple of years and then I think I'll go and work in a boatyard.
0: <laughs> what's, well, boat, what's boatyards got to do with sidecars? Fiberglass mold oh, work. Right, fair point. Yeah. So oh,
2: all the bodywork that I make and the molds are all been taught from that. Yeah. And it was a great job. It was badly paid, but it but I got two years out of it where I learned all the skills of plug making, mold making vacuuming all sorts of things it was a cracking
1: job and all this was a for sorry Chris no, it was a for- to insight into to being able to do the my future, own future thing. of you yeah developing your own things because you yeah yeah and then by the time I got to
2: the late 80s I I, I was sort of thought it was really bad money in the car trade and the, the boat yeah. boat job so I, a couple of guys I was working for both happened to lose their license in in the space of a month or so and I was labouring on them. So I got to drive them around and I instantly doubled my wages. So this is good. You know, <laughs> I can afford to go and yeah. do a lot more racing off Ireland. And that's how that happened. Um, and then by the late 80s, when I won my first TT on Eric Brigatti's TZ 750 Yamaha and things changed to Formula 2 in the yeah. space of 10 months. Uh, well, yeah, we had 10 months notice to go to Formula 2 spec. Um, not long after that, I thought I've got to start just, building my let me on bikes. Yeah, yeah, just
1: for yeah. the for the sake of the listeners, just to explain that a little bit. From and me. going from uh, the open class to yeah. the Formula Two. It was it was it was a tough time for for a lot of the the difference in the specs really of yeah. the machines. You
2: know, you think there was um, getting on for a hundred competitors then. Yeah, sidecars. Well, yeah, like the most I remember was nineteen eighty eight, one hundred eight starters. And uh, 89 was a little, little less than that, but um the sidecars were going through a tough time of changeover. You can imagine they were the TZ752-stroke engine was the thing to use for about 15 years. Then Japanese stopped making parts, so aftermarket bits were getting made, so they got real expensive. And Formula Two had been going for about five years in the UK, and at the TT as a subclass. And Formula Two is. 352 strokes at that time, like TZ350 engine twin cylinder. So, 89 came and it was a pretty rough year um, for accidents, things like that. And a lot of it was down to machine failure. You know, these bikes were designed for lightweight two strokes. People were putting big GS XR1100s in and stuff like that. And they were just, the frames couldn't cope with it. Mm -hmm. So, the ACU did the right thing and just said, yeah, this has got to stop. We've got to have a new format. Sidecars are going to be here. So, so the open class was literally any engine up to up to at that time. It was either eleven hundred cc or
0: thirteen hundred cc. And those were the much bigger and longer long sidecars. Like the, the ones that I, yeah. I remember, um, Steve Webster used to ride. You could ride one was there that one if of those you was? wanted yeah. at the TT, but really? they weren't suitable. So yeah.
2: there was a tubular version made with conventional steering. I actually had one and it was a damn good bike. But yeah, there, there, was, there was so many varieties of mongrel bikes, for want <laughs> of a better word. They were really bad. <laughs> yeah. And so by July, the ACU made an announcement, said, right, next year's TT. For sidecars to go ahead, they're going to have to be Formula 2. But they introduced the 600cc engine in, and nobody had used one at that time. Yeah so you can imagine the old jelly mold hondas and the fz 750s and mm-hmm. gpz 600 cows yeah. they were pretty primitive engines yeah. they weren't proper sports engine and so some cho- chose them engines some went with the 350 i went with the 350 and crashed it <laughs> <laughs> after about three practice laps and uh ended up with no start that year cool. but it, it was a big changeover and it was all for the better but Within six years, I set the first 110 lap and broke the open class lap record. So the whole idea of trying to slow it down and make it safer, it, it had no real effect. It just evolved and then...
0: You just got faster anyway. Faster was that because the, these bikes are shorter wheelbase; they handle a lot better? Well, no, it open? was just
2: uh, the 600 engine became a better lump. Right, You know, it just went... It escalated really the development, fast. Development even on the road bikes was engine. really fast. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I think things moved on really, really quickly. Mm. Yeah.
0: So, so that it was a long-winded a- answer to your uh, question. It was. But, it was always in the blood to go and do sidecar racing. Then. Oh yeah. Well, um, is this from a, a family thing then?
2: Yeah, my dad yeah. raced from when I was two years old. Right. So, all I can ever remember was having a. A trike with a plank of wood lay beside it, making silly bike noises, <laughs> leaning over it and everything. And, and, and just... never,
1: never no interest in two wheels. In, in the only racing interest racing I ever had in two or...
2: wheels, there was a, a local guy called Graham Cannell. He was probably I have to say this because I believe it. It's I think he was the most talented solo rider that ever came out of the Isle of Man. Uh, he didn't realise his own talent was his problem, <laughs> and. He won the European Pro-Am Championship. He won the British yeah. Pro-Am Championship. Uh, this is in the early 80s. Uh, he won the Manx Grand Prix, podiumed at the TT. And I worked for Graham for a few years in the car body body shop and had the the good fortune to go with him to UK circuits when he was doing, like, British Championship and all that. And yeah. I was just like a gopher, you know, go and take the wheels down, get changed change tyres, Dave, and keep bikes clean and... What age was you then? 18, 19, and uh, he he had the best bikes. He always, he'd bust his gut to have the best bikes. So we'd be sat in the the body shop, it'd be a bit quiet, and he'd go, well, we're racing this weekend, Dave, so tell you what, why don't you nip down JBI Airfield and just bed my bikes in for me? i nice. go down on my own and you could let yourself in in them days. I'd go up and down the <laughs> runway and I'm like Freddie Spencer. <laughs> I'm, I'm going it. I'm <laughs> hanging off and <laughs> nobody else can see me. But on the best bikes TZ 250 yeah. 350 come Armstrong on. 250 Armstrong I'm freaking ripping up and down like a freaking lunatic and then after an hour I put them in the back of the van come back to the workshop all done Dave yeah all done. Right we'll head to the ferry in the morning and off we go and donington gold cup events all real real good events sure. yeah and that never gave you uh, i'll tell you a funny story in the 1982 tt graham he was, he was that was his peak really he was third in 350 race i think and something like that but dale singleton came to the isle of Man that year and he he'd just won daytona and yeah anyway he had a tz 500 factory bike delivered to graham's farm where, where he had the body shop in, a, in an old converted barn. But uh, the organisers just ha- said to Dale, uh, get in touch with Graham, get the bikes sent there, and then you can collect them from there and do your thing. Anyway, Dale Singleton said to me at the end of practice week, he said, hey, kid, I've been watching you, how you look after Graham's bikes, and they're immaculate. They're absolutely immaculate. I need somebody like you to come do the European Grand Prix." Cool so i said all oh, right and he goes how much do you earn i said well i'm on 50 quid a week well i'll give you 50 quid a week but you'll not spend it because i'll cover all costs of everything it'll be hotels and just want you to do what you do on graham's bikes i said how long will that take how long it'll take me on up to and he said well, about september hmm. and i just thought i'll have to think about this and next day i, I turned it down because i was I just won my first club event on the sidecar. Yeah, yeah. And I thought I can be all right at this, yeah. and so I turned it down. Now, I don't regret it, but it's the nearest thing to a regret that I'll probably ever have. Yeah, because that was rubbing shoulders with Barry Sheen and all yeah, peop- yeah. all the people I looked up to. Because a great I, era as well. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. And Singleton, he was a character, a yeah. proper good character, and and yeah. So I, I came close to being a, a top. Sort of gopher at <laughs> grand G- prix G- yeah,
0: yeah. would have been great fun. So your career could have gone in a totally different direction. Oh, you could have gone totally have but, a totally different direction. But I do know
2: something. Back to about solos. If I'd if I'd ridden solos, I'd have hurt myself an awful lot. Mm. Sidecars with the
0: stabilizer <laughs> are, are a lot easier. <laughs> I, some, I think most um, most sidecar drivers are would be handy on a bike though, right? Um, you would think so, just with the
1: feel. Yeah, and, you know, sidecar passengers probably make a better solo rider and.
2: I think it's just that sense of balance and moving. Right. When you went on with Birchall on the side of the bike, you must have noticed that being a good solo rider, you, the balance thing, the, yeah. the movement yeah, thing, yeah. Yeah. maybe not so much all sidecar drivers have oh, got right. that. They're a bit more car orientated and...
1: <laughs> it is so <laughs> different, yeah. obviously, yeah. When, I, when I went round with Ben, because obviously there's no suspension travel hardly. Mm. So you don't get the feel like you do on yeah. a solo, but oh. you still get a, a general feel. You know? mm. Yeah. I was, I I seen something on
2: telly there the other day. It was a YouTube thing with uh, Lewis Hamilton and Valentino Rossi. Yeah. So Lewis is yeah. out on, I think it was an R1. And he's going around in some Spanish circuit. And it was dead interesting. Lewis said to Valentino the next day, he said, I love left-handers, but I don't like right-handers. <laughs> and this shocked me. Rossi said, we're all like that. Yep. And I didn't. Even think about that. Yeah. yeah. Forty-two years of racing. I've never thought ah. solo riders favour one corner for another because I, I used to be when I tested Graham's bikes. I
1: used to be exactly the same. I'd be shit around it. Um, <laughs> a right-hander. Ah, and good ah. round a left for some reason. Why I, is that? The most short circuits. Is it to do with you? right-handers really. Clockwise. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure. because you know, I come from. I, I was the same, but I come. I always put it down to I come from speedway. Right, uh, that was my passion, and right. I dabbled at speed when I was younger. Yeah. So you like left-handers? So, so it's obols yeah. yeah. like Nicky Aiden Yeah, well, many many yeah. riders, yeah. Yeah, Nick, he was phenomenal on the short track, obviously, which is yeah. a bit, uh, flat track, which is big in the states. But yeah, yeah. Mm. But it just it just feels more natural. I think you're as fast probably on the right-handers, but it just feels more natural and easy and, on the left. In weird, terms of body, yeah. body position. Yeah. So
0: what about in a sidecar then? Do you have a preference to to one way or the other? Because obviously, like the the passenger has to leave. To one be honest, the it, it it. Uh, it depends what the
2: passenger is like. Right. And it depends how you've got your bike set up. Uh, as to, like, my favourite bike of all time, over and above my own bikes, was a Windle chassis way back in the mid-80s. Cool. And it was a mare round a right-hander. It shook and it bucked, and <laughs> it was like riding a <laughs> buck and bronco. Every right-hander. But you can force a sidecar through a right-hander. It can handle terrible, but you can get it through yeah. just as quick. as a good handling one. But the left-handers are totally yeah. different. And this thing went round a left-hander like a damn go-kart. <laughs> it was a round anything. And I could go round the outside of bikes anywhere and no problem. And that that is good. If you can get a sidecar with a left-hand chair, of course, to yeah. go, go round a left-hander, nice, it, it, that's
0: brilliant. So that leads me on to my next question then. Why are sidecars built the way they are? Why is that sidecar I think it, seat in the left? Is there a reason for it or not? I don't honestly know. <laughs> but <laughs> I often thought about this and
2: wondered if in, back in the you know post war this is
1: a guess, that like I just said, yeah. most short circuits are predominantly right hand right on the, Yeah. But so all the continental it, bikes had the sidecar on the right hand side. Did they? Oh yeah.
2: If you look back to the post war yeah. and then right through to Let's say the '70s. All the Germans and the Swiss and the great riders like Camatius and Schoutzoon and Enders and so, all of them, all their bikes were built with the sidecar on the right. Yeah, yeah. on the right. Cool. Is, so maybe I wondered if their circuits were left-hand circuits. Maybe a lot of them. So is
0: there a rule that stipulates it has to be on the left? No. There you go. That could no. be your little thing for next oh, I year. don't. I told We're, you. We'll get, we'll, get on to, we'll get on to that KTM <laughs> thing in a little, <laughs> I in a, know, in a little while. Um, I know n- it's probably like kids. You're not supposed to have a favorite kid, but throughout the, your career, you've gone through a fair amount of, of passengers. Yeah. Do you have one passenger <clears throat> that you that you kind of would have liked to have seen all the way through your career? Or does everybody kind of get up to speed and they're, they're similar? It's a funny thing. I don't thing. want you to pick a favorite, but passengers if you have are a like, favorite. I you know, do all right all right screw it it.
1: shed a bit of dirt all right who's Who's your favorite passenger come on you're a straight passengers like
2: marriages (laughs) and they go wrong (laughs) Uh, i told you don't mention marriages but is that what you tell the wife you're just a passenger (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well (laughs) let's see It, it 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 seems to run its course and The worst thing for a passenger is, particularly in the modern era, they have to be extremely athletic. I say that. That's a terrible thing to say because I read an article of the 1977 TT was the only time the sidecars had four laps with a a compulsory pit stop. Mm. That must have been pretty hairy. My dad was in that race. But all the lead passengers said that it was one lap too many. Physically. Physically, physically they were exhausted. And passengers did fall out on the last lap. They were just... Phew. So Ramsey, I'm, I'm get, I think they were probably saying, I'm getting out. <laughs> Pick the <laughs> slowest slower and have and a roll
1: but, but no, uh,
2: I think a passenger will prob- probably have a, maybe up to 40 years old, be if they're damn fit as well, would be a pretty pushing the boat out. And mm. most of the passengers I've had that have got near that age have started saying, you might want to look for somebody else, Dave. You know, I'm, I'm feeling this a bit. Yeah, uh, Peter Hill was a great example. He, he was a fantastic passenger, the first guy to do the 110 mile an hour lap mm-hmm. as a passenger with me. And that year he said, that's on another level. I don't think I can do that no more. And it, I, I dismissed it because he was that good. He was that yeah, good. Yeah. But I think he didn't do another TT. Sure. He didn't. He did world championships, but not another TT. Yeah and uh that was about 37 i think he was then and so unfortunately i think there is like a shelf life a to shelf it. life yeah. yeah whereas the boys riding them like myself and holding yeah. and even reeves is cracking 50 now and boys
0: like that it's it's an easier thing if you keep fit and healthy yeah. and your so, eyes aren't falling. yeah so it's not down to like you either falling out with them for not being good enough it's I've had plenty of that. How have you? I've had stacks of that. Here we go then. Steve wants to do it. God damn! <laughs> <laughs>
2: but um, no, I wouldn't. Should do it. But I've had great. They've all been good passengers. I haven't had a bad passenger. Never. And have you ever had to tell one that you're not quite
0: up to speed with me? Yeah. Mm. Uh,
2: yeah, but they've been exceptional on short circuits and maybe got to a road and gone. You know, this is just. Whoa. Yeah. And yeah, and that's normal. That's normal. The best passengers it'll
1: blow their mind, that first lap of practice, you know, it does. What's the biggest difference on three wheels from short circuit to the Isle TT? Just the
2: out-and-out out top speed and the bumps, them two things that, I mean, by the time you get to the bottom of Bray Hill, you're going 30 mile an hour quicker than you'll do on pretty much any short circuit in the UK. Yeah. And we haven't got another circuit now where we're going to exceed anything like 140. No, That's yeah. about
0: it so what we topping out here at then
2: i'm sure birchall's reached 170 i mine's doing 100 i did 162 on my yamaha in that was that was funny because 2019 tt it's the fastest my gps has ever shown it was going down highlander in towards grieber castle yeah and it and gps was 162 every lap it was dead consistent but it wasn't comfortable i didn't feel particularly comfortable the bike was weaving I had to sit in the middle of the road because it was just like a metre
1: Like track in yeah. yeah,
2: it was just not comfy. And that could be a bit of age creeping in there, Steve. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> I hate to admit ah. it. But no, I didn't feel comfy, but it was fast. And um, the only other circuits we used to get up to similar speeds was the Ulster Grand Prix, which I was lucky enough to do once in 1995. And uh, yeah, yeah, I won that race, which was great, but I never went back. That was that. Uh, Clipping out. Yeah. It's an extremely fast place and we just don't get anywhere like it. And yeah. So it does blow you away a bit, that first
1: lap. And just, just chipping back to that, the Ulster, what What was that like being obviously on a road circuit? Yeah. Um, a very fast one, of yeah. course. Um, but a mass start. Yeah. Mm. What was the, what, how is that for us? Because obviously the cycle's It was hairy. I'll, I'll tell saber. you about that.
2: I, di- I didn't go to the Ulster Grand Prix when I could have went lots of times. But... Um, My father and the guy he raced with, were both killed there racing in 1977, 45 years ago yesterday. Cool. Yeah. And so I didn't go, but Billy Nuttall, you remember, was promoter, Billy rang me up and just said, Dave, uh, I know you've not been keen on the Ulster. And I just said, no, hang on, I'll correct you. It's not, I haven't been keen. I just haven't thought about it. It's it's not been, I'm against it or anything. He said, well, I'm glad you said that because we're really trying to get a good sidecar grid together will you come and ride and I just went well it's bloody expensive and I'm near the end of my European Championship run and all my eggs in one basket with that he said well I'm hoping you'll come and ride that bike here which was a 502 stroke Krause Yamaha beautiful in a really yeah. l- super lightweight chassis I'd built yeah. and I was doing well at, at Europeans you know top three all time and pole positions and yeah, things yeah. like that it was a, it was a real good Good bike and really good to be involved in European circuit. So Billy said, "Right, I'll give you a thousand quid to come. There's a thousand pound for the win, and I'm sure you'll win it." But he said, "I'll tell you now: if you'll just go out and practice, if you don't like it and you don't want to be here, I'll give you a thousand pound. You can go home. How's that?" And I said, "Well, go on then. I can't turn that down." Mm. So I went there, and an, an old friend of mine on the island had a a friend. It, on the Dundrod circuit, who was a retired policeman. And he said, you can go and stay with him. He's got several spare rooms. So we turned up the night before practice started. And he said, have you got a car to go and learn the circuit? And I said, well, no, I've only got my van and my truck truck at the time. He said, well, I've got a car in the garage. You can take it, here's the keys. Give me these keys. And I thought, these look like something out of a bloody old mini or something, (laughs) a really old dodgy set of keys. So it goes in, opens the garage. It was Morris Minor. And it, it had flick-out <laughs> indicators on the side. Yeah. So I said, come on, boys, let's go for a rip in this. Cross-ply tyres that squealed every time you just made a slight turn. Yeah. Well, off we went. And we did about three laps, and the bloody thing started to knock and clank. The engine it did a big end. Did so it? I, I did. I put it in the garage. <laughs> didn't say a thing. I just put it in the uh, give him the keys back. He said, did you get a few laps? I said, oh, I got three in him anyway <laughs> the next day we went out I didn't do any more any more practice laps in a car or anything obviously but uh went out and on the fourth lap of practice a qualified pole God, flipping out. and just took to it yeah instantly yeah. and it was a fast average lap over 110 it was God. a fast average lap about similar to the one two fives probably yeah and
0: uh, I won the race yeah Won the race or so picked
1: up another
2: grand. Did a
0: good earner as yeah. well. Yeah. A couple so, of grand on him. Did, did you up? actually experience any of the the mass start itself then? Or were we on pole and so you just it, went yeah. off and yeah. you, didn't, you didn't see anyone?
2: Yeah, it went off in two waves. So, um, yeah, I, we caught back markers. Yeah. But it was all right. It yeah. was all right. It was a great yeah. sidecar circuit. Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, yeah. There were several accidents after that year, which... Led to the organisers saying we don't think we'll have sidecars in the demise of
1: the class, yeah. Mm.
2: Which sure. was sad, but yeah, they had the reasons. Yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, we we be, again, we've barely scratched the surface. I feel like this is where we should end part one and then pick up in part two and move forward a little bit to TT 2022 and, and obviously beyond yeah. as well. Dave, join us in part two. Cheers.